This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Master Mindset. Reframe your thinking, master your mindset with Nate Skula and Kim Adele. Here is another episode from the archives, and it will help you if you're looking for a job. Thanks for joining. So today I'm interviewing Craig McAlpine, and in fact, he's the principal executive career coach and branding expert at My Career Brand. And Craig established My Career Brand in 2011 to deliver a clear point of difference in career coaching for job seekers who are serious about taking a more structured approach towards securing their next role. He specializes in working with job seekers to build quality marketing assets, including CVs, LinkedIn profiles, interview skills, and value propositions. Craig's focus is to position job seekers to more effectively secure not only their next job, but to also have the confidence to negotiate appropriate remuneration through self-awareness and value recognition. And he's got over 20 years leadership experience within lots of different sectors. And Craig is able to apply his key learnings to position his senior level executive clients to win the right opportunity. But this contains lots and lots of information that's very valuable to everybody, wherever you are in your career. This is worth listening to. Well, hey there, Craig. It's uh, really great that you join me today. Yeah, um, you're welcome. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I. I'm going to be honest, I haven't actually written a CV for years. I've got one and it's sort of it's sort of a bit broken up, to tell you the truth, but I'm not really looking for employment, yeah? But if I was, where would I, where would I actually start with, with drawing up a CV? Well, the in- interesting thing, um, mate, is that you wouldn't actually start with a CV. Uh, what you've got to think about is what do you really enjoy doing? Um, what do you want to let go? Um, and also you've got to think about, well, where's the proof around you being able to deliver on what you enjoy doing? So really you've got to start thinking about your value proposition and getting some structure around that. So a lot of people will jump straight into their CV and, and think, you know, hey, here's a job that I want to apply to. And the first thing they do is they get, you know, the, the Microsoft Word package open and they start beating away at their uh, the keyboard uh, and um, typing away on the first page. And actually, you know, you don't, when you get to the CV, you don't start at the first page. So I think really it's about tipping it on its head now um, and thinking about, you know, what is the purpose of this? And really to start off with, you know, we start is the uh, understanding really clearly about your value proposition and what you're taking to the market. Right. So, so first of all, would you say it's fair to start with some statements? Because I know it's very, your process sounds very, where you start is very sort of close to the sort of personal branding sort of process that I used when I, when I put my personal brand together and what I mean by that is, so when I created my personal brand, I came up with 
five statements that explained what I do, which were sort of benefit-led statements. Then I came up with five statements which were what gives me authority and credibility. And then there were five statements which were why I was different and or better than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly um, that, that's an area that you can uh, focus on. Um, I tend to think that what you need to do is think about the problems that you solve and what are the problems you enjoy solving. Uh, and think about your audience. Really, you know, when you're creating a CV, it really is a piece of marketing collateral. Uh, and any, you know, marketer worth their salt um, won't actually start, you know, with thinking how great the product is. They'll think about, you know, well, what's the problem we're solving? And they'll think about the target audience and they'll start wrapping their marketing collateral around that so that it resonates. So first of all, we really need to start thinking about the solutions that we're going to provide. And um, one of the uh, founding principles um, that I use for my clients is that when they're actually applying for a role or they're thinking about putting their um, CV uh, or their information about themselves, their profile out into the market, really what they're doing is they're resp responding to a request for a proposal. Uh, so it's really an RFP. And so what we should be thinking about is what are the benefits that I'm actually delivering before the features? So the benefits, um, and if we look at what you were just saying before about the authority, the benefits, the outcomes uh, are the proof, and that's the authority that you actually have to speak on the subject matter um, that you're pitching for as a job applicant. So we really need to start thinking about, hey, what solution am I providing uh, to solve a problem? Um, so as I say, when you um, are writing a CV, really what we're doing is we're responding to a request for a proposal to provide professional services to solve a problem for somebody. Nobody ever goes to market to make a hire unless they've got a problem. Um, you know, this is not about giving away money and thinking, gee, I want to pay somebody, you know, 50 grand or whatever it happens to be uh, this year. It's not about that. It's about solving a problem and how can I increase the productivity of my organization um, or uh, increase the benefits to my clients. So you've got to start thinking from that angle. Writing proposals is, is not easy. I'm not going to lie. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, it's something I used to do for organizations. And it was interesting when I was approached for a global um, HR uh, or by a global HR company to run some of their career transition. And I was looking at the material that they were using and I was thinking, well, actually this isn't really cutting the mustard. This is not getting to the nub of the problem and having written, you know, many proposals um, or response uh, responses to requests for proposals um, I realized that actually that's what people should be thinking about when they're writing their CV or even having a conversation with a recruiter um, or a hiring manager. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a completely different way of thinking. Um, the world has moved on from just saying, hey, this is what I used to do. Um, and that's what a CV tends to do. It tends to be very retrospective. Yeah. Um, to now about, hey, these are the problems that I'm able to solve for you. And for the reader of that CV uh, to be able to consciously map those very easily into the problems that they need to solve. Right. So you would you would go through the job spec. You would you would then tailor the CV to fit with that job spec, providing you obviously have those skills. Is that right? In fair in saying or, or not? 
Absolutely. And again, look, I come back to the response uh, to a request for a proposal. When you best practice um, proposal writing is that you matrix um, the challenges and so on uh, of the particular organisation that you're going to be providing assistance to. Mm -hmm. When you start developing the content of that proposal, you make sure that you map or are able to map that content directly to those challenges. Um, so yes, to your point exactly, um, when you're creating a CV, you've got to make sure that the content is able to be mapped to that. What's more, it needs to be on the first page. So the first page actually needs to sell you. You've got six seconds um, based on some uh, research that's been done recently, six seconds to get the attention of the reader. Right. So, uh, and, and basically, would you start with an introductory paragraph which sums up your key differentiating statements? Yeah, you would. And as I said before, you've got to make sure that that's going to resonate. So um, it can be reasonably personalised. I mean, you know, at, at some point, you know, you have to present uh, the authenticity of yourself, you know, who you are. Um, but you need to be able to provide the size and the scale uh, and the impact within that um, first few paragraphs uh, of your CV. So, yeah, it's about getting the attention. I often describe it um, a little bit like a menu outside a restaurant. You know, to attract the people in, you know, you've got to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, you know, you've got the, the menu looks exciting, you know, and um, they're going to go in and, and um, ask for more. They're going to sit down. They're not only going to eat the entree, which could be those first couple of paragraphs, but they're going to go for the main and then they're going to go for the dessert. So right. really you've got to think about your audience and what they want to eat. Right. So, so it's a bit like writing a blog as the headline is the equivalent of, of the introductory paragraph and then they're going to want to read on. So then they're going to read the, the, the next paragraph and on and then hopefully take action at the end and then send you an email back saying we'd like to interview you. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I actually want them picking up the phone you know, after the first couple of paragraphs, certainly at the conclusion of the first page. Um, I don't want the reader to think, geez, I've got time for that person to pick up an email that I'm going to send them uh, because by then they're going to already be engaged in another conversation that um, a hiring manager wants to have with them about taking them on board as well. So we want that, um, if you like, that action uh, to um, be as quick as possible. Right, right. That's that's uh, that's very good advice. Very good advice, and and this applies to anybody at any stage of their career, doesn't it? It sure does. Um, you know, right from you know when you're at uh, a tertiary education, um, or whether you know your early career, mid career, or late career. Um, and as I was mentioning uh, to you earlier when we were chatting, uh, you know, my role um, as a coach um, for. Uh, careers and in particular uh, go-to-market um, strategy um, and role acquisition. Um, you know, I'm seeing people that are, have actually just graduated uh, from university and um, right through to um, diplomats um, who want to commercialise, if you like, their experience through to senior cabinet ministers um, out right. of the previous government. Um, so, yeah, it absolutely applies to everyone. And even some of the most amazing CEOs that, um, you know, I've ever met, really senior international guys and, and women, um, you know, that have come to me, incredibly talented, 
um, and the challenge is that they just don't know how to package uh, those um, deliverables that they've, or the, the benefits that they've um, delivered in the past. Uh, and so, you know, that's what, coming back to your original question, that it's, it's, it's really about how do I package up what I've done in the past to make it look forward-looking enough for somebody to hire me, knowing that that or they are the benefits that they're going to be able to secure for their organization, which is going to give them the competitive edge to be able to remain um, viable and into the future. Right. That makes, makes a lot of sense. I think all of these, all of these people need a hand with this sort of, uh, this sort of stuff. I mean, what my, the, the gentleman that helped me with my personal branding, he, he, he actually used to write speeches for the president, sorry, the prime minister of Malaysia. So, you know, I have quite a, quite a governmental connection there. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think it is very, very hard to, to be good with, with words and actually get these things to work very well. And, and in the right direction as well, it's because you can, you can put something together, but you might say 10 words that just upset someone just because of the tone that you've written it in or the style that you've written it in. And it might just be like, oh, you know, people might think it's a bit too much for their organization, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we'll often hear feedback to job applicants. Um, oh, look, we think you'll get bored in the role. Uh, oh, look, you probably, uh, this role is probably a little bit light for you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that comes back to what I was saying uh, before around the, you know, the content um, and to your point, the tone and so on. Is it aligned? you know, to the culture of the organization that you're joining as well. You know, what, what's the language that you're using? If you're, if you're moving into a senior leadership position, you know, you need to use all of the things that are associated or the language around the leadership domains. Um, so what are the competencies that you're presenting in your CV? You know, are they at the right level? Are you able to talk to them? Are you able to provide examples? So there's three things I ask people to consider whenever they're writing anything that uh, they want somebody to pick up. And the questions that I ask them to ask themselves and to ask anybody uh, to look at when they're reviewing their CV is, says who, so what, and prove it. <laughs> and the so what is probably one of the strongest things, because unless you can answer the so what, then you've lost the attention of the reader to start off with. And so that comes back to a point you made earlier about mapping things across, you know, so that they're actually relevant. So this is so what, but then you've got to back it up with proof examples. And often people will write achievements in their CV, but the achievements really are just reflecting the responsibilities. So what? You've done your job? Really? That's what I've paid you for. So what we've got to think about are the so what's need to be really powerful. They need to present better than the average. So if you were a, say something that uh, do, maybe doing a performance review and you generally have three levels. It's below expectations, met expectations and exceeded expectations. And there's some commentary around that um, as to how you might be able to do better areas for development and so on. What we want in the achievements is for them to be exceeded expectations. Okay. So that's what we should be striving for. And then we need to be able to focus on the benefit that that delivered. If all you're talking about, is that you've done your job, why am I hiring you? There's too much competition out there. I want something more than that. Yeah. 
it's it's now it's gone a lot further than that hasn't it it's it's gone to even so far i mean i i speak a lot to some some people at ibm and microsoft and stuff and you know one of my one of my uh friends at ibm she's she's like launched her own charity she funded it herself and she and and it merges with the sort of corporate social responsibility and it's like i i think there needs to be from where i'm sitting a sort of almost like a responsibility that you either you become like a spokesperson for a specific cause or you go out and raise money for that cause or you you know kind of help help with something that would align with that kind of um entity what do you think about that these days yeah it's absolutely right but um so the not-for-profit or for good organizations the world and i've um, worked with a number of ceos out of those particular organizations uh they're growing significantly in numbers unfortunately the funding isn't keeping up with that so uh you know you were talking before about personal branding communications how you actually you know, get that out there. Um, and the same thing with CV. Well, if you're going for funding, you need to be able to demonstrate the benefit that you're actually going to provide the recipients of the funding. The comp- competition out there for not-for-profits and so on, you know, is massive. Yeah. Um, and so really, you know, to, as far as your friend is concerned, um, it's great, you know, that she's doing what she's doing. What's the benefit? You know, okay, so, and who are the beneficiaries? Yeah. And what's like the delta? Have- yeah, I mean, I can answer that. The, the benefit of what she's doing is she's raising awareness of, of IBM's corporate social responsibility because they help a lot of people to do, to do things in the world and, they, and they, they are helping to alleviate a lot of the problems in the world. For example, you know, with, with, with the artificial intelligence that they're, that they're pioneering, they are able to assist the food supply chain so they can cut the costs of food and then help people to have more more food but from where she is sitting actually combining her personal social responsibility which is a charity which is digital skills basically so she wants to give digital skills to people aligning that with IBM it gives them a more of a feel-good factor around what she's doing and it gives and it gives her a feel good factor because IBM support her as did Microsoft beforehand. They actually supported her in her journey with this nonprofit. So like Microsoft gave her some computers. So the whole thing is kind of aligning with these big companies now. I mean, I, I've been, you know, sort of learning a little bit about corporate social responsibility. And whilst they are serious businesses, they also now seem to be in in the spotlight a lot more than they ever have been before around this kind of thing and hiring people who actually care and have compassion and empathy seems to seems to be really you know almost part of their hiring criteria yeah absolutely is and we're seeing some initiatives here in new zealand amongst the corporates um for it's called kindness in business um and I know that the whole dynamic in New Zealand, the cultural dynamic in New Zealand, um, over the last, I would say, probably maybe seven to eight years, maybe 10 years, has changed significantly where we're seeing a lot more trans-Tasman and international engagement and ownership in New Zealand businesses. Uh, And the culture that they tend to bring into the New Zealand businesses was 
hitting a bit of a brick wall because we're not, you know, as hard-nosed in New Zealand, perhaps, as some of those other international organisations have become. But I think the pendulum is actually swinging and organisations now are starting to actually see social responsibility, you know, as part of uh, their strategy, um, as part of their being, their DNA, who they are, it's part of their brand. Um, and so as an individual, they're looking for people who can actually build that as well. Um, so, you know, to bring this back into the CV, if you like, um, it's not just about uh, now understanding that you've delivered a 15% increase in EBIT, that you've increased um, profitability uh, on a certain uh, category, you know, by 13%, that you've reduced cost by 73% and so on. And, you know, you've laid off 2,500 staff in the process. Where's the social responsibility in that? So, you know, it's, it's, it is becoming more and more that way. And we're seeing now just recently, you know, with this horrible situation that we had in Christchurch um, with the terrorist act down yeah. there, the, the corporates in New Zealand now have actually teamed up and are teaming up internationally um, to put pressure on um, some of the major social media channels, such as Facebook and so on, um, to uh, take some responsibility in terms of the content that they're pushing out there purely for revenue, um, yeah. you know, and, and with the excuse of, oh, well, you know, it was only 30 minutes. Oh, well, it was only 4,000 people that saw it. Yeah, but meanwhile, what was the profit or the revenue that they were able to achieve? So yeah. I think, you know, if you look at it, the, the backlash is starting to happen and organizations are waking up um, and they're wanting to bring people on board that actually understand that. So, you know, um, with respect to your friend, Absolutely. The likes of IBM, Microsoft, whoever, will actually be seeing that as something that they need to, to present. So just writing sustainability, for example, in your proposals um, as an organization is not enough. You've got to prove it. And yeah. often organizations, particularly in professional services, are having to present the CVs of people, the lead providers within their organization of a service, um, as part of that proposal. So, you know, as individuals, we need to be part of the building blocks. Um, now, the way to present that, you, you know, they're going to be looking for that when, you know, they go trawling through the 150 or, you know, more CVs that they receive for an application. Um, and so what we've got to do is make sure that our CVs are optimised. Um, so, you know, a post that I wrote this morning um, on LinkedIn um, talk to digging deeper. You know, you need to behave like a terrier. What's important, you know, for the organisation? And as you mentioned before, as far as SAP is concerned, you know, it's about being able to present and, um, a social um, profile and to be able to articulate that in a way that demonstrates benefit, you know, for the community and it's real. So, you know, if, if, if I was applying for a role with SAP, I'd be looking to say what see how much of this role actually uh, relates to that particular area that SAP are trying to put out there. Um, so it's, it's really about digging deeper, you know, when you're, when you're looking to apply for a role. And as you say, you know, um, focusing on maybe some of the, you know, the more peripheral areas of the business. It's not just about um, the organization delivering software and delivering ERP solutions and all of that. You know, it's about, Okay, what else makes this organizational uh, organization tick? And, you know, we'll get some feedback sometimes where people are told, 
uh, look, you weren't quite the right culture fit, cultural fit for the organisation. They're not talking about ethnicity, you know, talking about gender or anything like that. They're talking about the way that you are actually going to integrate into the organisation, not just where the organisation is now, but actually where the organisation wants to be. So I was talking to somebody yesterday and she was saying, oh, look, I've tried applying for roles and, you know, I should have been a dead sitter for this role and I got rejected. And the reason I should have been a dead um, sitter for this role is because, you know, the person who's um, doing the job at the moment, you know, I had that job that they had before and, you know, I'd be ideal for it. Uh, and I said to the person, I said, well, what makes you think that that organisation wants to do exactly the same as what they've been doing and clone the person that they've got in the role already? You know, they might be wanting to go into it in a different direction. But because you haven't called them, you don't know that. You don't understand it. All you're, all you're thinking about is what used to be. Um, so when you're creating a CV or any communications to apply for a role, you know, you've got to dig deeper. Um, and, you know, you've got to look forward. Where is that organisation going? Yeah, really find out what they want. Definitely. And get some background on the company. I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. I've been telling a lot of people about this. It does make me laugh. So... A few months ago, I moved into a, into a different city, and and I and I got an email. I got a LinkedIn message from this recruiter, and it said um, it said there's a there's a, a role available near you. I think you'd be perfect for. Are you interested? So I so at the time I was like, mm, okay, I'll, I'll find out a bit more about it. So I just said sent him a message saying, oh, that sounds interesting. You know, what's the company? And he told me the company, and I said, well. I'm not really looking for anything full time. I might consider a couple of days a week or whatever at the time. And, and, and then he never responded back to me. But so what I did, I actually had a look on LinkedIn at the, at the company and I looked at the managing director and I was, and I looked at him and I, and I just didn't see the fit at all as to why firstly he was managing director and I didn't trust anything to do with that company. They had over a hundred staff uh, you know, quite a few over eight, nine million in, in, in sales, which is, you know, fair for a digital agency like marketing agency. And and purely because of that, I uh, I approached someone else in the business and, <laughs> and I went to see this guy for a coffee and it cracked me up. It's so funny. And I said to him, I said, I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm not being funny, but I looked at the uh, looked at the managing director's uh, LinkedIn profile and it didn't really instill any confidence in me at all. And, and it turned out that this chap, he actually owned 10% of the company and he really didn't like the managing director and he was just about to leave himself. He said, he said, you wouldn't be happy here. <laughs> <laughs> That's, look, and look, those are the decisions you've got to make for yourself, but certainly, um, you know, worthwhile picking up the phone and talking to that person or engaging, you mm. know, in some, in some form. Um, you know, so yeah, you know, so you put in your CV, you know, you've got, you've got the attention, you know, of the reader, um, you know, and they're going to interview you. So you've really got to be prepared to interview well as well. You know, you've got to be prepared to ask the right questions. You know, the, the thing that you raised there, you know, it's, it's about, well, what is the fit? You know, I've got some doubts about this particular organization. So, you know, think about some of the structured questions um, that you might ask in an interview too. So tell me what a typical day looks like here. You know, tell me what happens in this organisation um, when it hits the fan. You know, it's like, you know, you can get down to that. Um, so how does the organisation pull together? Can you give me some examples? 
Um, but those are questions that you can actually ask people before you even submit your CV as well. Uh, so what is the metal of the person that they're looking for? And being able to demonstrate that, you know, in your CV. Do, does your CV talk to those points in the first few paragraphs of your CV and in the competency areas? So on your CV, you don't just list your competencies. You've got to put some examples. Um, that's the proof statement. Remember the three things, says who, so what, prove it. If I say I've got leadership, then I better damn well know that I can prove it. And I've got to provide some examples around that that are going to relate to the organization. If I talk about, you know, um, uh, negotiation skills, then, you know, um, if I talk, I need to be able to provide evidence around that. So your whole CV and so on needs to be evidence-based. But before you can actually do that, you need to do just what you did. And that's dig deeper, yeah. go looking, find out more. Don't trust anybody, you know, not even customers of that organization who say, oh, yeah, they're amazing, you know, whatever. Yep, really? Yeah. Um, you know, I learned that the hard way myself. Uh, when I joined an organization, I reported into Australia. I was heading up New Zealand. Um, and, you know, I asked a few clients, you know, um, and, you know, everything seemed rosy. Geez, it was a dog's breakfast when I got in there. Um, it was the worst job I think I've ever had in my life. Right. Um, you know, so a lot of what I teach my people, my clients, are my own personal experience or come from my own personal experience and also research um, in the market. Um, so, and I think that's really important. And a lot of people don't think about that. You know, a lot of people have migrated their career upwards in an organization for the last 15 years or so. They've never had to apply for a job since they left school, yeah. um, you know, or university. Um, so they don't know how. And the jobs have just landed in their laps, you know, yeah. um, for better or worse. Um, and in some cases, richer or poorer, you know, for it. Um, it's, it's a little bit like a marriage um, in a way. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, and those people have, have always just slipped into a role. There's been some other more unfortunate people that have probably applied for the roles that these people have been um, inserted into, and we're never going to get it anyway. They're what we call column fodder. So right. people that just make up the numbers. Um, so look, that, and that's another thing, you know, you've got to check for when you're, you know, you're doing your research um, to write your CV, you know, you need to be prepared to walk away. You know, um, people get addicted to the apply now button. Right. You know, it's, it's just walk away, do your research, be prepared to screen yourself out, you know, um, Think about it. It's, it's actually quite an empowering thing yeah. to walk away from an organization knowing that you've done the right thing. But not only that, there aren't any, oh, what if questions that, you know, um, you know you, that could have been answered later on. You've done your homework. You've researched as much as you can. You know, yep, you may apply for that role um, or you may not. But when you say, no, I'm not going to apply from it, to your point, to that role that you thinking about applying for mm. you you're doing it for the right reasons and it's not because you can't be bothered no. you would have put in a lot of work into that and you would have been there have been a lot of soul searching mm. um but you know you did absolutely did the right thing for yourself at the time yeah yeah exactly exactly so what's next what you know once you've once you've once you've got that cv you've 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 done the covering letter right what what's next i mean you've you've you're either going to get an interview or you're not right so let's assume that you've got a first interview 
What are you going yeah, to do? Okay. Well, well, hang on a second. Let, let's assume that you haven't. Okay. Okay. So, so what you do then um, is you would call the organization and, and ask for feedback. Yes. Don't just let it die. So, uh, okay. So you appreciate, you might start off by saying, Hey, look, I really appreciate the time that um, your, or your time and in, in looking over my CV um, and your consideration. Um, it would really help me if you could provide me with some feedback as to uh, any shortfalls or areas of development that I may need to undertake in order to secure a role such as this going forward. So, you know, I, I haven't met anybody so far, you know, in my life that hasn't been prepared to help somebody in some way, given yeah. the time. Yeah. Okay. So generally, given the time, they'll help somebody. So get that cleared out of the way first. Okay. So to your question, what do you do once you've actually uh, been successful in securing an interview? The research doesn't stop. Okay, okay, so who's interviewing me? Okay, yep. what, what are the people on the panel? Is it a panel interview? Um, am, am I being considered in amongst internal applicants? And by the way, that's one of the questions that you should ask before you even submit your yes. proposal, as I call it, or your, your CV, because why are they going to market in the first place? Okay, so if it's just to make up the numbers and they've already got that uh, person uh, identified within the organization that they want to move up, why bother? Okay, you better have a really compelling reason for applying. Okay, so you've got to find out a whole lot of information around that. Um, but okay, so once you've actually got the interview, then you, as, as I say, you know, you need, the researching doesn't stop. You need to find out who's on that panel. What are their drivers and motivators? You need to talk to everyone on that panel. You need to prepare yourself, but don't over-prepare. Otherwise, you'll be coming across as inauthentic. Okay, you need to have examples, the talk-to questions. So. Prepare yourself for the interview and then also think about, okay, so I'm going to get the interview. I'm going to get the job. What's next? Once I land that job, how am I going to be onboarded? Because now we're seeing more and more that organizations' ability or the resourcing that they can afford to onboard people is slipping away. Ah. So their margins are so tight, they can't yep. invest in the HR teams, if you have a look at any of the larger organizations, HR, recruitment, and so on is not something they're investing heavily in. Right. They'll invest in you know, learning and some learning and development, but they'll outsource that. You look at some of the major change initiatives, some of the HR teams are the most decimated out of any right. of the organizations. And so their ability to be able to resource and develop the, the collateral and the coaching um, for onboarding um, is is slipping away. So you need to take control of that yourself. So we talk about in My Career Brand, which is the name of my organization, um, My Career Brand 360, which is the value proposition building, the role acquisition, and then the onboarding. So there's a complete cycle there. And then when you think about it, that actually goes on and on and on. It never stops. Once I'm in an organization, where do I go to from there? You know, so you need to be thinking about your forward momentum. Is there a place within that organization? What am I doing in terms of securing my own succession planning uh, within that organization? So, you know, we need to be a lot more strategic. And I think this is where people are falling down, uh, Nate, in terms of yeah. actually getting a job now. They're not thinking strategically enough. We've got to start thinking that our employment is my business. I'm in business. Yep. My employer is my client. 
how am I staying ahead? How am I satisfying my clients' needs? And part of that is making sure that all the time you're considering about how they're involving. You know, we've got AI and so on, you know, which is, you know, reducing some jobs um, or actually eliminating some jobs. Um, so, you know, you've got to think about be part of that organization strategy. So to your point earlier, what do you do when you've got the interview? Well, you don't stop. Okay, then there's the next step. Always be one step ahead. Okay, so securing the interview, doing the interview, securing the role, and then securing the sustainable employment within that organization for as long as you want it for. Take control of your career. Don't wait for that little slip of paper or whatever it is that they're going to send you to say um, your role has been disestablished. So yeah. it's a much more strategic approach. And and you should know when to move on. You know, it's like you've got to plan it out, definitely. I mean, so many people just leave it and they're just like, they just ignore it. And it's like they go into work, come home at the end of the day, and they just and they just forget, you know, that really they should be in control. And then the companies take control because they learn how to manipulate those people. I mean, let's be real about it. They understand what key drivers people have in their lives they understand the people's personality types they they look at them on their linkedin profile and they say oh look he moved last time after three years what was he doing for three years okay he was in that role for three years and he didn't change so he moved to a new role so we know that if we hang on to if we want to hang on to him we need to give him something else to do yeah i would rather take control of what i'm doing than let a company take control of me personally. Yeah, and I think you're um, absolutely right. Unfortunately, you're in the minority. Yes. Um, you know, most people don't. They just get in there, they do their job, they go home, you know, they get up, they go, go to work in the morning. You yeah. know, they, actually, when you look at it, how much have we evolved other than technology from, you know, early Egyptian times? Not much. Not you know, you know, there's still the whip being cracked now. There was an article in, uh, uh, in the local paper I read the other day in the New Zealand Herald, which is around, you know, taking lunch breaks and so on. You know, look after yourself in those roles. Make yeah. sure that, you know, your health and wellness and well-being um, are, are being looked at as well. You know, it's not just about turning up, doing your job, running yourself ragged, because over time, whether you can see it or not, you will actually be decimating your own ability to perform okay. um, and your employer will see it. So yeah, um, you know, employers are saying, how can we keep that person engaged? But what are you doing to communicate to that employer that you're engaged in the business as well? So, you know, the opposite of what you just said there is the person's not engaged. Okay. Look, once they've disengaged, they're not going to come back again. Let's just let them go. Yeah. It's you know they're there, you know as you said. Look, let's be real here. Um, they're in business. They need to deliver a return on investment to their shareholders. Yep. Um, there are expectations. It's getting harder and harder to do that. Um, today, the competition is fierce. Um, we need to be fierce too um, about how we're managing our careers. Our careers are a business. We need to start thinking more strategically, just as a business would. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and actually act, act as an ambassador for that, for that company. I mean, the, the, that gives you more leverage, you know, the, the bigger you can be in terms of like, you might write articles, you might, you know, for example, yeah. do video or podcasts or whatever. But the moment you become a trusted advisor or an ambassador for that company is the moment where you 
you're actually more likely to stay in that role than someone who isn't doing those kind of things, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you'll often see that in professional services. People move, you know, up the hierarchy within a professional service organization because of that value, exactly that. So it could be with uh, their brand, you know, their own personal brand amongst the customer base. And the only way that organization, um, lawyers, you know, accountants, engineers, architects, think about, you know, the retention of that person or how they can retain that person um, is sometimes, because it's not all about money, it can be about status. Oh, we'll make them an associate partner. Oh, we'll make them a partner. And all of a sudden, things start to change. You know, they, when you become a partner, you've also got to be a rainmaker. You've got to start delivering revenue opportunity for the organization. So be clear about what it is that you want. But those organizations, absolutely, you know, um, they will see the value in you. Um, it's one of the, you know, most challenging things about our professional services organizations is they think it's about the brand. They think it's about, you know, the name of the organization that's bringing the customers. Yes, to a degree it is. You know, if you've got the big four, you know, the KPMGs, the PWCs, those ones, are the Deloitte's, the big, the large organizations. Accenture yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, those ones. Yeah, absolutely. So as um, a business owner, an organization, you may hire those organizations because there's a certain amount of security in doing yeah. that. You know, there used to be that old saying, hey, nobody got fired through hiring IBM. We've got a saying in New yeah. Zealand where, well, yeah, that was until INSYS happened. Um, and then all of a sudden the brand damage globally, you know, was horrific. So um, that was a massive failure in terms of a project. But, you know, and I suspect a few people <laughs> brand, within that organization, their brand would have been tarnished as well. But generally what we're seeing, though, is that um, through social media and LinkedIn and so on, people are able to build a really good brand for themselves. And there was a, a workshop I was running uh, just last week, actually, uh, with a government department in New Zealand. Um, and the content that I've developed is around the third dimension of LinkedIn. Uh, and that's that your brand marches before you. And so by writing posts, um, by commenting on articles, uh, you're actually able to push your brand out there, your, your subject matter expertise. Yeah. Whereas a CV is quite two-dimensional, LinkedIn can be very three-dimensional. Um, and that was the premise of what I was saying, the, the, the founding principle, if you like, behind the workshop that I was delivering was it's not just about your experience areas on LinkedIn. Um, you can look, got those covered off in your CV. What are you using LinkedIn for? Now, when organizations look to hire, more than 90% of hiring managers will look at your LinkedIn profile as well. Yep. Um, you know, um, they'll make screening decisions in and out based on what's in your LinkedIn profile. So they'll see your CV. You might be on the cusp of being in the mix or out of the mix. You're either in the ring or you're out of the ring. And your, your LinkedIn profile might get you across the line. Um, so, yeah, social um, is really important. Pushing your brand out there. And all of a sudden, this person becomes really valuable because of the brand that they've already got in the marketplace. Um, so is it about the name on the door in terms of the, the business itself, the, the naming rights of the building and all of that stuff, you know, the great big PwC and do it? Not always. That person could actually take the customers with them if they left. Yeah, yeah, they definitely could. And I think what's really interesting is, is that you don't actually know who's watching. That's the thing. And 
and they could be watching you for two or three or even five years in your career, you know, and they might have seen something in you if you're a bit more junior. And then five years later, they, you might just get a message in your inbox that says, oh, I like what you've been doing the past few months. Uh, let's have a conversation about you doing something for us, you know. And that's what's so exciting is you just don't know who's watching. <laughs> yeah, I find that myself. It's like, you know, people contact me on LinkedIn or they want to connect with me. And I don't know who this person is. You know, <laughs> it's like they don't even put any um, information in the request. Um, so I always, we, we, yeah, it is. But, you know, look, the reality is, you know, there's no point in getting angry about it. It's, it's just, you know, people don't understand what they need to do. So, yeah, agree. So I always make sure I response. Uh, I respond to it. I say, hey, thanks very much for requesting to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, can you please provide me with further information as to why you wish to connect with me? Perhaps I can help you, you know, better in the future. Blah, 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 something like that. That's good. Um, sometimes they'll actually come back and I'll say, yeah, I've been following what you've been writing on LinkedIn over the last few years and I really like the content. So I thought I'd reach out and connect with you. So that's great. And yeah. to your point, yeah, I didn't even know them. I hadn't noticed that they, you know, were following me. Um, they hadn't liked or commented. I've got a pretty yeah. good memory when, you know, I, I see people who like or comment as to, um, you know, who that uh, person was. Um, but I, you know, they, ha they haven't, they've just been watching to your point. They've just been watching and often that turns into engagement. So I'll get engaged uh, by that particular person, you know, to undertake some work with them on their job search strategy, um, you know, go to market collateral, CV, LinkedIn, interview skills, etc. cetera. Um, you know, and that can be remotely or can by Skype or, you know, video or whatever, or it can be face to face, but they've been watching and that, if you like that gestation period, you know, um, and it's trust. A lot of it is trust. You know, is this person going to be able to deliver? Yep, I can see there's um, there's a thread here. There's consistency. I know what they're talking about. I'm not confused. Okay, so yeah, I think that's the personal branding side of it is about clarity um, yeah. as well. Um, and you have to be consistent with that if you're writing your CV. You know, you have you know it has to send a clear, clear message. Is your CV confusing? You know, what is the message you're putting out there? Does that time with your LinkedIn profile? And then when they interview you, so I, you know, sometimes you get the comment back, uh, gee, that person wasn't anything like their CV. Right. You know, what the heck did you present them for? That CV's a clock. Right. You know, um, so it's really about making sure that you interview and expand on the competencies and so on in your CV as well, but it's a common, there's a common thread. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting space out there, uh, Nate. I think. You know, it doesn't start with your CV. It starts with you having clarity around your value proposition, how that relates to your target audience and your target role, and being able to communicate it succinctly. Well, this has been enlightening. And I, I can't thank you enough for your time, Craig. It's, uh, it's been fantastic. And I will, I will see, see what I can do about the other interviews, because I know you, you, you've recommended someone to talk about interview skills and also protecting the personal brand and and the ongoing kind of maintenance of that throughout the career is that is that fair to say yeah absolutely you know and as i said look the whole application and success process doesn't stop once you've got the interview it, it goes right through so your onboarding is absolutely essential because the brand damage that can be done within the first few weeks the first couple of months 
uh, can be horrendous. And that will impact not only yourself psychologically, but also professionally, but also the people around you and the organization's clients as well. So it's really important to get that piece right. Okay, so yeah, there's a whole thread there, I think. And, you know, people um, often say to me, do you write CVs? And I say, no, I don't write CVs. What I assist you to do is to develop the value proposition, which will turn into a whole lot of material, including your CV, your LinkedIn profile, your interview skills, how you actually communicate to the market. And I think it's really important um, to understand that. Yeah, tying it all together is, is so key. And yeah, it's, it's been, that's been great. So if people want to get hold of you, how do they find you? Yeah, they can have a look at my website. So it's mycareerbrand.net. Uh, you'll find all the information on there. It's got all of the coaching uh, programs and so on. It's got contact details. So mycareerbrand.net. Um, we coach uh, face-to-face uh, or I undertake, undertake um, international coaching as well um, via Zoom or um, Skype, um, whatever works. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you. It's been great. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Master Mindset. Please don't forget to follow wherever you listen and tell your friends and tell your friends. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.